Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. Absolute pleasure to have the CEO of the AFL, Gil McLaughlin, join us on Friday Focus. Thanks very much, Gil. How are you? Good, Gilly. Thanks for having us. Appreciate it. Where are you, mate? You've uh, locked up at home. You're back in the office. What's the what's the situation in in Melbourne, given the ever changing COVID situations around Australia? Uh, well, it's um, it's cold and dark outside, and I'm sitting in my office at home, as I've been a hell of a lot this year. Um, I think we're allowed as of tomorrow to go back to fifty percent in the office, but we're we're, we're at twenty five percent. It's all full time masks, so we're mostly at home, and it's been been like that most of the year unfortunately yeah it's not been that uh, too pleasant for anyone particularly in the uh cities where it just seems to spring up in the little hot spots mate i'm going to get to we'll discuss the, the sort of covid ramifications on footy in just a moment just wanted to clarify for my personal interest adelaide born and bred or south australian colts footy over there melbourne uni blues a bit of a legend down there i see captain committee life members you're on the supplementary list for carlton for a couple of years no, no, not that long, about 20 minutes. Um, okay. <laughs> I did, uh, I did a, uh, a full pre-season and some reserves and then uh, and then was shown the door. So I was, um, yeah, grew up in South Australia, came over here sort of halfway through my degree at 20, um, played a lot of uni footy and that was about my level. Had, had as I said, about 20 minutes of um, indulging myself at Carlton or them indulging me, not good enough. And um, that's about the... the, the extent of the football height. How strong was the ambition? Did, did you harbour uh, a real interest in trying to, to press on to the top level? I, I gave it a good guard. I mean, it, you know, when I, when I was at Carlton, I, I just wasn't good enough. I knew that then. So, you know, being a, a, a ruck, when I sort of, you develop a bit later and I'd played a, a few years in the amateurs and had gone all right and got my, got my window. But, when you're, you know, competing at internal practices and stuff against, you know, my, you know, aging myself against Justin Madden and Matty Allen was competing for a spot at that time with me and, and a guy called Mark Porter and they were just bigger and better and and so I felt very comfortable when I got um, um, shown the door and uh, you know after as I said a full preseason and a and some reserves that I knew where I was at so. That was that, and I went on and did other things. So it wasn't, it wasn't. I loved football. I played a hell of a lot. So I went back and played in the amateurs, and it was a huge part of my life. But I, I felt pretty comfortable that, you know, I knew where I was at as a player, and I was, I just wasn't at that level. So it wasn't too much of a, a heartbreaking shock when you got let go, mate. But you, you got to the AFL eventually, didn't you? You've been what in and around eighteen years involved uh, as an employee, the AFL seven. 
if my yeah. uh, stats go correctly, as CEO, how many years do you see is, is appropriate in, in a position of CEO across a, a sporting body like this? Yeah, well, you're certainly conscious in public life and as a chief executive, you've got you've got your run at it. And it's not, you know, I think sort of, you know, eight to ten years is, is, is what the sort of feels to me about the right thing if everything goes well. So, as you said, I've done done seven years and I've got some stuff to do, but it's certainly not a, you know, I think I think it has its time. So um, at the moment, I'm still enjoying. I've got things to do, but you know, I'm certainly in the in the in the, in the, in the second half, um, no doubt. And um, um, you know, you're conscious in public life that there is a lifespan, but. Um, I've enjoyed it, and I've been very lucky. It's been a, you know, it's a position of, of great, uh, of great privilege, really, because this game means so much to so many people, and I've been very lucky. Yeah, indeed. So second half, not necessarily the last quarter just yet, but uh, I did. I had, a, I had a look <laughs> I'm back. Keeping at... it open. I'm keeping it open. <laughs> uh, very good. Um, I had a quick look back at when you were appointed uh, at your press conference, and in amongst the. It was a fantastic quote where you, I guess, elaborated on your involvement in footy um, and spoke about you've had cold showers and freezing committee meetings and uh, paraphrasing a bit here, but uh, you've appointed coaches, sack coaches. But the line where you said, I, I have a clear vision of where the game needs to go and how we're going to get there caught my interest. Do you, do you feel like the game's there from that quote from seven years ago? Um. It's it's a, it's a. I'm at risk of judging my own tenure, which I'm not going to do. But you know, the vision for being, you know, when I took over, we were back then. It was our soccer's was big and coming, and soccer was going to take over all the different things. This concept of Australian rules football being, you know, meaning either meaning or having the opportunity to mean something to all Australians. And being unassailably the number one sport in this country um, is part of that vision, and I feel we're there. I mean, I, you know, so in the, in that vision, um, you know, it contemplates being much more relevant to women than it was, and and it's you know historically been you could you could sport our game, but you couldn't really play it in any limited way, or in, in not in a hugely aspirational way. And being you know on committee, you know, women were, were really not able to be full participants in our game other than being spectators. I feel we've gone a long way in that. I feel we've gone a long way in our push in the northern markets, long way in our in, in, in into uh, different uh, communities where we haven't been strong. So I feel, um, you know, on that front or whether it's, you know, our balance sheet and buying stadia or our broadcast rights and, and, get, and getting a circle right, you know, this virtuous loop between having community football strong and, and the elite game strong is, you know, I think we've come a long way, but that's for others to judge. But I certainly feel the game today. We've been challenged by COVID, but and there's, there's always things we can do better or things we can improve on. But generally, we're in, a, we're in I think, in a very good spot with, with a lot of opportunities still. Yeah, the point about COVID and the challenges uh, is one that I wanted to run by you. I, I assume that the, the challenges of COVID... Uh, keeping the game alive and running and functioning, that along with, uh, I assume the Essendon peptide scandal, they, they'd have to be th- the two. Or if they're not, what is 
the biggest challenge that you faced in your tenure? Oh, there's no doubt. Last year was as um, as difficult as it's got by some by some margin, and we were, you know, when you, you know, it's a bit probably whatever it's 15 months ago, sitting there in those first weeks of March last year, and you um, go from you know you know as an industry turnover of sort of one and a half bill between us and the clubs, and you've got a fixed cost base in the bins, and suddenly looking at everything stopping, it was. Unbelievably challenging. We sort of had a, a billion dollar hole, and everyone stood down. And you know that that first of all, making sure that the ship didn't go under, and then and then a uh, working through with the players, the clubs, our team, and ultimately with our supporters, a path back to getting the ship sailing again was unbelievably challenging. And that and last year was was tough for for everyone, for as I said, for for all Australians really. And um, you know, for our industry, it had its had its Special set of challenges, and it was a it was a you know great team effort. I feel from from as I said, our players, our clubs, our coaches, my team, and, and in partnership with our with our supporters and all of our other key stakeholders, our broadcast, our sponsors, governments, everyone. I think I think you're spot on. I think anyone that's involved in any sport watched with amazement as the um, various organisations got it back up and running. But as you mentioned, there's a lot of hurt that they're around the games and at all levels, and particularly there's been a focus on this. Uh, the football departments having taken financial hits, uh, and and the workers that that are there doing extra time and effort. Do you do you see us being closer to that heading back to where it was, or is that the status quo now, and that's the way it will remain? Um, we're going through a process of review on that. We've obviously gone out to all of the clubs. Um, and we've had a meeting with all the chief executives about three weeks ago. I've got a, I've got a board meeting next week and a president's meeting. We will keep talking about that. So, you know, we know that things are tight across the board, and it's clearly in the soft cap, but it's other parts of, you know, different places across the industry. Um, so it's getting the right bottom-up number. I don't think we'll go. We're certainly not going back to where we were, Gilly. But it's what's the right amount. And then there's the overlay of that's that's affordable in some with some certainty, and you know where we were a month ago, everyone felt we were back, sort of going pretty consistently. It looks much more challenged three or four weeks later, as you know we're sitting here not having going out crowds in Melbourne, um, and you know little mini outbreaks starting again today in Sydney, and things keep changing. And so part of your question is. You know, we'll get the right number for the soft cap and others, but it'll be also have to work in concert with having a really clear line of sight on, on where and when we're getting back to some sort of normality. And that's probably still a while away yet. Yeah, the day-by-day changes as we as we speak. Sydney's flared up again. I, I, by the time we go to air, I, I assume that the, the Sydney game uh, is Giants hosting, uh, hosting Carlton at Giant Stadium will be going ahead in Sydney on the back of the, the little outbreak there? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I can't be absolutely definitive, but I feel you know, I'm, as, I'm as close to... You know, I'm very confident that that will go ahead given the history of um, the way the Sydney government have, have, have dealt with things and the way uh, where we are at the moment in our relationship with, with you know, given what's going on in Victoria. But, you know, that, you, you never quite know, and that's part of it. So, I mean, 
I think it, you know, in terms of managing through this last three or four weeks since the Victorian outbreak, it's been a sort of a, you know, with a $15 million hit just in the last month to, to manage all of the issues that have uh, got teams around this country and the games going ahead. So that's, that's you know, that's how quickly things can change in a matter of weeks. The other evolving discussion around of this week anyway is this... Uh the tribunal situation, which will be unfolding in a couple of hours from when we're speaking. So it'll be done and dusted by the time we're on air. But David McKay and his um, situation, by the time we're on air, he's either having a holiday for quite a few weeks or he's been let off or anything in between. How significant an issue is this this space, this brain trauma, CTE? We saw uh, oh, a, a good sparring partner of yours, Peter Volandis from the NRL, say it's it's the greatest threat to that game and the longevity of the game around brain trauma. Is that a, a fair and accurate statement, do you think? And is it that big a threat to, to AFL? Um, well, I'm sort of not going to get into the, you know, the, the um, complete definitives and you know, get into a sort of, I'll just say this, it's, you know, protecting the head and concussion and the implication for our players is, a very significant issue in our game, and we've been taking it seriously for you know twenty. You know, for, you know, we made we're making rule changes back in the early two thousands, and and we hopefully have always been, you know, we continue to make um, decisions around um, um, prevention, around diagnosis, around um, treatment, around research. You know, and, and all those four buckets we've been doing that for a long time, and and. You know, we will continue to make decisions quickly when when uh, information comes to hand. So, I think the case is it'll be what it'll be, and I can't really talk to it because it hasn't been heard, and because you know there may be appeals and others. But um, we will continue to to protect the head, and I think that you know that has had push had pushback from lots of quarters. Um, you know, when we went to, to strict liability, as an example, when you went to when you chose to bump and you hit the head, then you were held accountable. That had enormous pushback at the time, and now it's accepted. And I do think we just the, the game will continue to make decisions to protect the head, and that's tonight's case falls in that bucket. Yeah, and perhaps the research and, and the knowledge we have now around CTE and and, and the trauma, are the rule changes or adaptations getting to a point where we need to accept that the fabric of the game that we knew 20 or 30 or 40 years ago is changing? Yeah, it depends what you mean fabric. I mean, I've, I, um, the physicality of our game, I think, is, is, I think it's as physical as it's ever been. But it can be a physical game that still protects the head. If you sit on the boundary line, which I have a great fortune to do between you know, sometimes I sit on the um, where the, the third umpire and the other match officials sit. And they're so strong, they're so fast, the conditioning's amazing. When they hit each other, it, it, and you just have to be tough and brave in, in a way that um, they, players have always been. And it's not, I don't think our game is any less tough. And so, you know, if that's the fact, you know, I hear people talking about that as part of the fabric. I, I just think that you, you know, there's such a role for toughness and bravery still in our game, but we can still do it in a way that actually does everything we can to protect the head. And, that, and that's certainly our aim. And if people think that's changing the fabric, well, I think then it's, then it's 
in a good way because we need to protect the head. I think everyone agrees with that. It's a, a fair and honest statement. Uh, another topical one, Adam Goods. Have you, you spoken uh, personally with Goodsy since his decision not to step into the Hall of Fame? I haven't. My my chairman, Richard Goiter, is chair of the, the Hall of Fame, so he, he certainly has around this issue and his conversations around the, the conversations with Adam on this issue with, with Richard. Um, you know, I've spoken to Adam over the journey and, yeah, he, it's clearly... Um, um, you know, these, are, these are decisions for Adam and at some point, I think everyone hopes that he... Um, he falls back in love with our game or, or, or comes back to it. But, but it will take time and clearly I think everyone understands where Adam's at. I, I had a quick look through the, the Hall of Fame and the, the number of uh, Indigenous players in there, particularly on the back of the um, Sir Doug Nichols rounds that we've just been through. Uh, I think I'm right in saying around about 10 or so out of uh, 240 or so inductees, which... Um, Seems to me personally, like um, for all that we celebrate, that there 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 might have been more in there, and a guy like Nicky Winmar isn't in there, um, but but has made such a significant contribution to the game in so many ways. Is do do you think that that's something that will change and evolve? I know you're not um, privy to the discussions I, around who goes in and goes out. I guess. I, I can yeah I I don't know the numbers. Uh, and I know that you know. I know um, Andrew McLeod's in. I know Michael Long's in. I know. I mean, that you can make cases for a lot of players, and whether it's Winmar or or Gary Lyon or others who aren't in there, um, I do feel strongly that that there are, you know the, the, about the contribution Indigenous players have made to our game. And if and if there is players who deserve to be there, there the Hall of Fame committee will pick them up. I feel confident that 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 you know there's that that. Um, you know, those um, who deserve to be there will get there. I've got to give it a bit of a West Australian influence now, mate. Uh, having, well, not born and bred in Perth, but I've been here 27 years now. Optus Stadium. And we mentioned continually about the changing landscape with COVID. Should, and let's hope it's not the case, but should the MCG be unavailable? Has Optus Stadium, through the Dreamtime match, presented a strong enough case to you about the, the ability to host a grand final? Well, I've said this before last year, before this discussion today. It's one of the great stadiums of the world. I don't think you can debate that. It is um, not you're not just a great stadium in the Australian lands. It's you work pretty hard to go to a better state in the world, and I've been to quite a few. So, if circumstances came about, and I'm not forecasting <laughs> them, and we are, you know, I'm very confident the the grand final of the MCG this year. But if it, but if for whatever reason the Optus Stadium hosted the grand final, it'd be a remarkable event because it is, you know, as I said, it is one of the best stadiums I've ever been to. And it's got the scale, it's got the technology, um, it's got the aspect and it's got the, the atmosphere. And it's a, yeah, it's a hell of a, a hell of a stay. And we saw it at its best the other night in that Dreamtime game. It was, it was, um, it's in the Sir Doug Nichols game. It was, well, yeah, in the Dreamtime game, it was, it was, um, amazing. Yeah. And I've got to compliment the Gabba on the job they did too last year. That went, uh, wasn't unnoticed about in a moving feast how well and what a show they put on. 
Yeah, it was good, and it was um, it was certainly different at night, and it had its own own charm. I know a lot of people didn't. Well, you don't you don't know what take to, to line of all the, all the, the, the research afterwards, but it was it was pretty spectacular at night. You mentioned earlier about where the game's at. I asked you, has it hit uh, or, or the vision you had for it and has it got to the place that you'd hoped to be? And, and you touched on the AFLW, which I think was a really important point. Other than 18 teams and getting it to that full expanded model, what's the next stage, really important stage of development do you see for the women's game? Well, there's, there's, there's four really um, and maybe, maybe a few. I mean, getting... Every club to have a team is really important, and we've flagged a, a pathway for that, um, as, you, as you've talked to. I think season length and season structure is important, and we've flagged to bring the season forward now and you have a standalone block over, over summer, starting into late November, early December. We need to continue to, and there's a strong push certainly from, from the players themselves, but from others to have a longer season, and we keep working on that. Um, you know, pathways and developing young girls and women into uh, you know elite players. That pathway, so we've got a great uh, pipeline of talent, is is really important. And you know, just continuing then to grow the game at the community level, having girls and women playing everywhere, and, and doing all we can to support the growth that we're getting. And a key issue in that is facilities. We've got, you know, we are just the the amount of clubs that have got proper female change rooms is is small um, and and we've got you know need more ovals generally to cope with the demand so it's sort of it's it's continuing to support the growth of the community level harnessing the the the, the, the talented players who wanted to go on and play in AFLW and, and working on on their development so they're ready to play when they're draft age and then um, you know then they get into into an 18-team competition, the right slot, and then and the final one, obviously, is then is, is player pay and continuing to uh, grow the industry so that we can have, um, you know, as many um, athletes having full-time careers in football as we can. Uh, yeah, it's 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 an interesting point. Is that is there a direct correlation between the commercial investment and interest from outside the AFL, so from sponsors and and the like? stakeholders in the game to the then the investment that you can make into those various points and, and uh, goals that you have for the game or is it just all fall under the umbrella of the AFL's finances and, and budgeting? No, no, absolutely. I mean, the, the more that the, the game is, you know, the broadcast rights and sponsorship and gate receipts and the more um, uh, it's able to be sort of commercialised to complement the AFL direct investment and the club direct investment. The closer we get to the ideals of every person who's who's who loves AFLW, and that's you know women being paid more, um, longer seasons, better facilities across the board. So yeah, and that and that's all we talk to a sustainable model, and so getting growing in a sustainable way and having the growth that translates into people going to the games and growing broadcast contracts and having a, a cost base that grows in line with that as well as our investment is is part of that conversation. And everyone has different views and that's why, you know, it's a, it's a, a, we've had a great um, growth over, the, over um, the last five years and, and we just continue to have a great debate about how and where we grow because there is priorities in all that. And 
some people will view that we should be holding 14 teams, 14 clubs for a while and lengthening our season. Others will want 18 clubs. And so there's a lot of dialogue all the time and it's been, you know, these are, you make subjective decisions and, you know, I've, I've, as I said, I've, I've laid out all of the different the different priorities and they um, we, we work hard trying to make the best decisions in, in as sort of inclusive a way as we can. Yeah, as you say, everyone's got a view, <laughs> and it yeah, might not correct. always might not always line up with um, what the the people making the decisions is. But uh, that's the beauty of it. Uh, just want to touch quickly on uh, taking you back at you mentioned out of Adelaide and, and studies across to Melbourne, but I believe you coming off the farm. You went and is it right? You did a bit of a year of uh, as a jackaroo down around the Riverina re- region. Yeah, well, I don't know. You, yes, absolutely. I did. I did a, sort of half a year in the Riverina and half a year north of Broken Hill, sort of near a little town called Wilcannia. So mm-hmm. up near the sort of New South Wales SA border. So um, sheep, sheep country, both of those. And um, yeah, dad, dad, dad's still farming. So I grew up on a farm, and um, um, yeah, did the year away, which was which I loved. Yeah, well, long time ago now. Yeah, I'm sure. Sure, not that long, mate. Come on, you're younger than me. Um, learnings from that experience. Uh, it, I assume it must have been a vitally important year for you from for personal development and and understanding the the, the big world out there, moving out of home. Yeah, I hadn't. I'd left, I went to boarding school in early age, so I hadn't sort of really lived at home, and I, I worked in the farm. But yeah, you, that was getting in the. I had a purple signal with purple leather seats Gilly and a, and, a, and a kelpie in the back and off I went for the year and uh, you know being you know having to be um, you know you talk to the independence but also I think it just well, the key takeout was just the resourcefulness you learn um, you know I, I, whether it's cars breaking down on your own and having to work it out or being on a motorbike Forty case in the homestead, and that having broken down, or getting half lost, and having to find your way home, and make sure you know you had water and knew how to sort things, the situations out. I mean, that's 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 that that's what that teaches you a year away like that. It's clearly all of the skills you're learning, you know, your functional skills around farming. But you know, there's a there's a level of resourcefulness I think you get from um, going away at that age and, and working out in the, in the bush. And, you know, I loved it. And I certainly feel I came back, um, much more skilled to sort things out for myself than when I left. Indeed. And I'm sure you're not rolling in the purple Sigma anymore either, which is uh, a credit to the success <laughs> you've had. Uh, that, that, those... that, it's last days, the, uh, the heating started spitting boiling water at me when I was driving along. That was about its last year. <laughs> the dog or the car? boiling water started spitting out through the vents driving along at 100 k's an hour that was about the last of it yeah sure but i guess the reason i was interested in that that year for you um is there a way that we can not just in the afl system but in in the pathway for professional sports and the, the desire to develop young talent and it seems to be getting younger and younger that we're identifying it and trying to get it into a a system are we missing out on on these sort of kids, if you like, or young adults having those experiences, those life experiences, uh, practical experiences to develop a more mature sense of community and and their involvement and their place in it, or or, or are we covering well, that off? No, I think it's a fabulous question, and and maybe there's a point in it as well. I mean, when we talked about AFLW and and pay, we, you know, 
I talk about, you know, I think we talk about making a living out of football because we look at the at the men now. One of the biggest challenges we have is is our men transitioning out of the industry onto the next step, and football is so all consuming. They come out of it, and I'm, and and then you know it's they have these amazing careers wherever they're, they're four years or eight, and then what's the next step, and how how equipped are some of our players for that? Is is something that's a real challenge for the industry. So it's something we've talked about a lot about what how do we make sure that uh, you know whether the players are getting skills and experiences and understandings of what's going on in the real world and other skills that means they can transition out of football. And so I do think that's related to what you're talking about is to, and we've debated at length and about you know so we we we've had programs and we invest in the area and but I'm not sure we're having the success we we. Um, we want, and you know, the, the transition, as I said, of, of certainly our male players leaving the industry is one of our biggest challenges, and we've got, we've got to find a better way. We've got, to, we've, we've got to do better at it, and that's certainly something that's having a lot of discussion at, at head office and, to, and across our clubs. Well, it's uh, terrific to know that that's well and truly the forefront of the mind. I'm, I didn't doubt that across the clubs, how professional they are, and mate, the way I saw. Well, I think the last time we spoke, it was in a Seven Eleven where your youngest was lying flat on the floor, screaming his head off. <laughs> you, 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 you controlled him beautifully and taught him beautifully, and, he, and they're all groomed on to be great young kids. <laughs> well, it was a slushy he wanted at about six thirty a.m., wasn't it? And uh, I like the way you didn't you didn't give him. But uh, mate, it, thanks so much again for taking the time in busy times as this whole COVID situation continues to unfold and congratulations on the the, the whole journey but uh, most importantly in the last uh, year and a half in keeping the game going thanks for joining us. Thanks, thanks a lot and thanks for having us, appreciate it. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale to kick things off you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now